Well, good morning to you all. It's great to be with God's people on this Lord's Day. Uh, I am the other Brian. The original old Brian, sometimes we call me. Uh, I want to give credit where credit is due. The message this morning is, uh, is my own, but the seeds of the idea for the message came from a little book called Risk is Right by John Piper. Uh, you can pick it up for about seven bucks. It's not expensive. It's uh, really a chapter from uh, his larger book called Don't Waste Your Life. And I have two copies that haven't been claimed yet. I love to give out books. You know that. Uh, I'm going to leave them up here. Uh, up here, I'm going to leave them right down here. And uh, if you want to take a risk after the service and be one of the first two people to come up here and grab that book, then they're, they're, one, of the, one of the copies is yours. If you're not ready for that risk, then find a kid and say, Hey, kid, come here. I'll get that book for me. And then if your kid is fast enough, then uh, then you can have that book as well. Let's go to the Lord and trust him for these minutes. Father in heaven, we stand here as beneficiaries of the finished work of Jesus. And it's because of your work, Jesus, that we can take risk and we have confidence to live this life. And it's because of you that life has any meaning. And we would ask, Lord Jesus, that you would meet with us in a very special way here through your spirit as we open your word together, that you would help us understand the text and apply it to our lives, even if it's scary. Help us to do that. These are special minutes. We recognize that you're here and we invite you to do your work and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When was the last time that you took a risk? What kind of risk was it? Can you get that in your mind? Think about that for a minute. In my uh, singleness during my prolonged adolescence, I uh, lived in a building with a guy named Andy. Andy was a uh, graduate of Harvard Business School, and he had used his expertise, skills, credentials, to purchase an extreme ride theme park. He started with bungee jumping. People would come and they'd strap themselves in and then, ah, you know, off this platform. That wasn't enough, so he started buying rides for his park. He bought this thing called the Skyrocket. It was this little cage where you and, and two friends or... I guess you became friends if you didn't know them. So you and two other people got in this little cage and you strapped yourself in and it had these, these, these bungees attached to it. They were about this big. And, uh, this hook would come up and grab your cage and then pull it down. And it would just kind of like wait like that. And then the hook would release. And in something between a quarter of a second or half a second, you would go up to the height of a 10-story building. And then you would collect your internal organs after that. (laughs) One day, Andy came home to the building and he said, well, I spent $90,000 today. And we said, well, Andy, do tell. (laughs) What did you buy today? He says, I bought the space coaster. 
couple of weeks later, it was my birthday, my 29th birthday. And two buddies said, we want to take you out. We want to ride the space coaster for your birthday. So we went out to the park, and the deal worked like this. You would go up to the, to the heavily tattooed ride operator, and you would say, friends of Andy. And then he'd say, all right, man. And, and you'd, it'd be free, because you knew Andy. It was the code word. You know? So we went up to the space coaster, friends of Andy. Okay, man, sure thing. And and we got on the space coaster. Now, the space coaster was uh, these three parachute harnesses that were next to each other. And you strapped yourself in. And then, again, a hook comes up behind you, and it begins to pull you up backwards to where you are now above what was probably about a six-story telephone pole. And then this loudspeaker comes and it says, you may release when ready. And my buddy said, okay, birthday boy, you know. And I grabbed this ripcord and you pull it and there's this sort of this sickening thud, boom, like this. And then you're, you free fall and you pendulum like this until you finally come back to the ground. Don't tell those guys this, but I never open my eyes. I have no idea what it's like to ride the space coaster. It was totally crazy. That is a really, really fun story, but that has nothing to do with the kind of risk that we're talking about today. Because Andy knew that the space coaster was really entirely safe. He wouldn't have let anybody ride something that was danger, dangerous or if he thought people would get hurt. Uh, We're not talking about risk as a kind of thrill-seeking adventure with the appearance or the feeling of risk. Uh, We're not talking today about risk that, like a lottery ticket or even a stock, uh, has the appearance of being random, and so we risk betting the odds in what we might think is a random universe, which really isn't uh, for the purpose of maybe getting rich. Uh, We're also not talking about risk for selfish gain or self-promotion. We're talking about godly risk. Let me read to you what godly risk is as we're defining it. Godly risk is an action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury, and that is for the cause of Christ. After God's own heart and under the direction of the Spirit for the purpose of making Jesus big in the hearts and minds of others. Let me read that again. Godly risk is an action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury, and that is for the cause of Christ, after God's own heart, and under the direction of the Spirit, for the purpose of making Jesus big in the hearts and the minds of others. You know, there are no experts in the Christian life. And just because I'm standing up here does not mean that I am boasting. Uh, This kind of risk is something that I really do struggle with. And I expect you relate to that as well. And uh, it remains to be seen 
whether at the end of my life I will have chosen godly risk or whether I chose security and comfort in this life. So it's a very sobering thing, and I think you recognize that for your own life as well. The passage that I go to to instruct me and help me with this is Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. We'll actually start in 31. Find it, if you would. Romans 8, 31 through 39. And this is a blow-your-hair-back passage. Okay? I mean, if the space coaster illustrates anything, it's, it's this passage in our lives. It has that kind of effect when we really understand it. We need to recognize that uh, this little passage is actually a hymn that comes at the very end of chapter 8, which finishes the main teaching block of the book of Romans, which goes from chapter 5 to verse, or chapter chapter 8. Um, just let your eyes run over in chapter 8, verses 18, let it, uh, then all the way to the end of the chapter. Uh, you know, the, the purpose of this section, Romans 8, 18 through 39, is to show that growth in holiness, that is sanctification in our lives, is built on the finished work of Christ and our assurance of our salvation in Christ. In other words, if you're not sure that the finished work of Christ is applied to your life or even that you're saved, you can't take risk. That's just too scary. But Christ's work has been applied to our life by faith, and we can have assurance of our salvation. And that becomes, really, the foundation of our confidence. We see in verses 18 through 27, just let your eyes kind of drift down to verse 27, that we are secure in Christ in our present sufferings. That's what those verses are about. And then verses 28, 29, and 30, so important. We're also secure in Christ as we move toward future glory. And then we get verse 29, the all-important verse 29. Look at what it says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's the end goal of our sanctification, being like Jesus. Everything that God does in our lives is for the purpose of making us like Jesus. We make progress in this life, and then he finishes the work at our glorification at, at his return. That's the end goal. Got to keep that in mind. Coming to our passage, verses 31 through 39, the the main idea here is that God is for us. God is for us. And if we really understand this, then we can move out for the cause of Christ in any way that God asks us to take risk. Let's read these verses together. Again, we're going to camp in 35 to 39, but I want to get a running start by reading 31. I'll read them nice and slow. Uh, take these words in like, like a suffocating person takes in oxygen. We've got to have these words. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Then our passage. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This passage is about what might happen when we take godly risks for the cause of Christ and why we have the courage to do it anyway. First thing we need to realize from verses 35 and 36 is that risk for us is real. It doesn't make light of risk here at all. And in fact, there is a Paradox when it comes to risk. G.K. Chesterton said that a paradox is truth standing on its head. You get two truths that don't seem to make sense. You put them together, you get the new truth. Jesus talked about that. Look over at uh, Luke 21. The passage was read for us to open the service, but look, look there again. Luke 21, 16 through... 19, Jesus says, and I understand these to be, uh, I understand these passages to talk about what's going to happen at Jesus' second coming, but I also understand them to be increasingly true as we move toward Jesus' second coming. So we're here, right? This is actual for us. Verse 16, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Now look at the paradox here. Not a a hair of your head is going to be damaged, but your head might be lopped off. In some ultimate sense, no harm will come to you, but it sure may go hard for you in this life when you take risk and follow Christ. How do we make sense of this? Paul's way of making sense of this comes from our passage. That's why we go there. Uh, Romans 8, 35 and 36 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Then he lists all these results of risk. 
tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. It's really interesting that if we look at 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, certainly the book of Acts, all of these words here, with the exception of one, I think, is used to describe Paul's experience. This, this, this is an autobiographical list. This is stuff that Paul has actually experienced. Uh, look, if you would, uh, a couple of books over. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 11, 25 through 29. Look at Paul's account of his own life here. 2 Corinthians 11, 25 through 29. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. In other words, after all that stuff, I had to turn up for work to be a pastor. That's, that was Paul's experience, and, and this, ex, this list that he gives us here is what he actually went through. And then he throws in a verse from Psalm 44 to show that this has always been the experience of God's people as they have trusted him. You know, we take risks as well, don't we? And with each risk, we ask, is Jesus worth it? And then while we're going through the risk with its results, we say, yes, Jesus is worth it. Uh, our youth mission trip, an obvious example. Now, I don't think the students view that as a risk. It's just an adventure for them. Uh, but the adults do, I'm sure, which is why so many of them go on this trip. All right. They know what can happen when you take a big group of young people to another country. And yet, Jesus is worth it, both for our students and for the people they're serving. Um, we got some kids in the service here. Hmm. Wasn't true in the first hour, but you're here in this hour. Uh, what does risk look like for you? Are there kids in your class at school that get made fun of? Yeah, yeah. Somebody says, yeah think so. What does risk look like for you? It it might look like going and being that kid's friend. Now, what's going to happen when you do that? Probably the kids that you like, that you want to say good things about you, they're going to say the same stuff about you that they're saying about the kid that they're making fun of. Jesus is worth it. Or, Or how about you... How about, might look like, you know, you're on a youth sports team and you're accustomed to worshiping here with God's people on Sunday morning, but the team practices or maybe plays on Sunday morning, it might look like you or more likely your parent going to the coach and saying, hey, we love the team, we're all about the team, but we have a higher priority, Jesus and his people and his things, and If we play on Sunday morning, we're just not going to be here. That's a risk. You you might get benched. The the parents might think that you're not about the team. But 
Jesus is worth it. Maybe uh, it looks like a young couple that has experienced miscarriage multiple times, and you just can't bear the thought of that loss and that hurt again to try, whatever that means, is just an unbearable thought. You can't go through it again, so you think. And yet God is, you know that God loves life. It is after his heart, and you feel compelled to trust him again. That's risk. Or how about adoption? Adoption, we know this is after God's own heart, and and yet when you adopt your especially if you have a, a lovely functioning family already, you, you, you're bringing in somebody from another gene pool into your family, and maybe people come up to you and say, now think about this, some adoptions have gone wrong. Really funny story. Uh, my parents adopted uh, two girls from China. I was way out of the house, and they started coming, bringing babies back into the home. So I have two uh, two Chinese sisters that are in their 20s, and they, they really are not like us in a lot of ways. One of them is about that tall. She's about three months from getting her black belt in Taekwondo. Don't surprise her in a dark alley. She'll knock your lights out. You know? um, while my parents were bringing in the process, uh, we had a, a dear family friend who, uh, who, who came to my mom and said, uh, you know, aren't you worried about any unconfessed sins in the lives of these girls? Now, she was thinking of that verse in Numbers that talks about the sins of the fathers visiting the, their, their children to the third and fourth generation. By the way, that's not how to read that passage. Um, but she, yeah. And my mother, great response. She said, oh, we already have every kind of unconfessed sin in our extended family. Great response. Good job, Mom. Jesus is worth it. All of these things are risk, and risk for us is real. But there's something or somebody else that we need to think about as we contemplate risk, and that person is God himself. God does not take risks. We have to think about this. God knows the end from the beginning. Right? That's, what it, it, that's what it means for him to be God above all gods, like the Psalms say. He knows what's going to happen. He allows it. He even planned it. None of this surprises him. And even more than that, Jesus, at the cross, secured the redemption of the cosmos. In other words, everything that's going to happen in the rest of the Bible, the new heavens, the new earth, the finished plan of redemption, Jesus secured that by dying on the cross. Look look at uh, verse 20 of chapter 8. Look at how the creation is intertwined here with the sons of God. You and me, if we're in Jesus. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly as we wait eagerly for adoption of, as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
In other words, the creation is, is waiting for God to finish his sure work with us, and then everything is going to be remade. And that's all because of the work of Jesus on the cross. God doesn't take risks. Uh, Even more than that, this really helps me, God foreknew you before the foundation of the universe. Verse 29 again here. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This word foreknow here, it's the word prognosco. And it means to know someone in a relational way. It isn't just that God knew that you would exist or that he knew what you would decide with regards to him. He actually knew you before you were born. Uh, This word is used of Christ back in 1 Peter. Flip over there if you would, kind of toward the back of your Bible. 1 Peter 1.20, talking about Christ, he, that is Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. It isn't that the Father just knew that the Son existed, or he knew something about the Son. He loved him. He knew him in an intimate way. And that same love, that same relationship is true of our relationship or of God's knowledge of us, even before we were born. Finally, nobody is lost between God's foreknowledge in the past and God's glorifying work in the future. Look at verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's real interesting. In the English... That's all, those are all past tense verbs. And yet, when does glorification take place? It's in the future, right? Hadn't happened yet. There's actually a, a reason why it's translated this way. Uh, these verbs are what's called proleptic aorists. Right? Aorist is just a tense. And, and, and it means as good as done. Our glorification is as good as done because of the work of Jesus on the cross. It's going to happen if you're trusting him and you're in Christ. So God doesn't take risks. We can take risks because he doesn't. And we know that our risk-taking is done under the watchful care of a God who doesn't risk anything and that the work of redemption is already secured in Christ. And if that's true, then risk is right. Look at verse 37. This is what we sang. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Need to make some observations here. We're we're more than conquerors where? When? In all of these things. We gotta go through risk and the results of it sometimes that feel sometimes negative in order to see that we are more than conquerors. 
This, uh, this phrase, more than conquerors, it, it translates the, uh, the verb from which we get the word Nike, you know, like the shoe, to conquer. Nikao is the verb. But it has a little prefix on the front of it that intensifies it. And so we, when, we, when we try to translate that, more than conquerors is a, is a decent translation of that. It, it indicates that these results of risk are actually turned to the good by God. The uh, commentator Tom Schreiner says it this way. Instead of believers being separated from Christ's love through affliction, the afflictions become the means by which believers more than conquer. Kind of a neat way of saying that. This helps us understand Romans 8.28 as well. Look back at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That includes risk and its results. But we don't just do it, do we? Look how this is accomplished. Through the one who loved us. This conquering is done through Jesus. Look back at verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. Get this. Who indeed is interceding for us. That's in the present. So as we step out and risk, our picture, the picture in our mind, has to be that of Jesus at the right hand of the Father, continually speaking to the Father, saying, He's with me, He's with me. I'm speaking for Him. I'm covering for Him. You know Him through through me. And this allows us to, to take risk. He proved His love for us at the cross and he continues to love us in the midst of our risk-taking for his cause. You know, as, as I get a little bit older, and, and you're, you're with me probably, uh, I find that a lot of the risk that I, I feel God asked me to take involves this really interesting dynamic between upward and downward mobility. You know, the assumption is that the longer we go through life, the more resources we have, and we, our life gets better and better and better. It doesn't always work that way in the Christian life. Maybe you understand what I mean. It's easier, by the way, to do this when you're young. When I met Amanda, I was driving a 1971 Datsun 510, 235,000 miles, three tones of orange. It had been wrecked multiple times, every time spray-painted with a different color of orange. I could see the road between my feet. There was a big hole. If I hit the brakes hard enough, both doors opened. (laughs) That's how worn out this car was. My overhead every month, I probably lived on $1,000 a month. And... uh, Oh, life was great, you know. I, I spent summers doing ministry. There was one summer when I had no address. I just, I, all my stuff was in storage. I went up to Philadelphia, New York City, did some ministry there, jumped a plane, uh, went to uh, Germany, worked with the Bible College, got on a bus, rode across Poland to the Ukraine, worked at a camp, came back, landed in a completely different apartment than I had been at before, there a couple months, and that apartment burned. 
The Red Cross gave me nine green rubber tubs. I have them today, even though I have more stuff than that. All my possessions went into these nine green rubber tubs. And that's what I was doing when I met Amanda. She took a huge risk in marrying me. She saw potential or something. It was easy back then to accept downward mobility. It's not so easy today. What if God gave you an opportunity to magnify his glory, but it involved taking a pay deduction of 20, 30, 40 percent? It can happen. These are things we wrestle with. Risk is right. Right? God doesn't take risks, so we can. Risk is right. And the thing we've got to remember is that it always takes place in relationship. This is how Paul finishes up, verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am sure. Right? This is testimony language, just as the list of tribulations before was autobiographical. Now he's on the back side of that, and he says, I am sure, having gone through all of that, that nothing can separate us from the relationship that we have that was established by the work of Jesus at the cross and the continuing intercession of Jesus for us today. Look at the list here. Death nor life. Okay, that's state of existence. You're human, I'm human. What is there outside of death or life? Nothing, right? You either got to be dead or you got to be alive. Nothing else outside of that. Angels, rulers, powers. Powers is a little out of order here. All right, these are supernatural beings. This is power here. If you're a created, well, they're created too. If you're a human, We're afraid of angels. They have supernatural power. A lot of people today in our modern world don't believe in supernatural beings, and that's why they're so afraid of them, because they don't believe in them. But what he's saying is that far beyond human rulers and authorities, the angels can't touch what we have with Christ. They can't separate us. Things present, things to come. This is time. Nothing in time can separate you. Not death. Nothing in time can separate you from the love of Christ. Height nor depth. This refers to space. It might even refer to dimension, too, if you want to let your mind run along those lines. Nothing high, low, in another dimension, heaven, hell, nothing like that can separate you from the love of Christ. And then he gets it all at the end, just pulls it all together. Anything else in all creation. right? This is everything else. You keep coming up with your list, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. If we understand this passage, we're going to know that whatever we undertake for the cause of Christ, we undertake in relationship to Jesus and we're secure. Brain surgeons are not known for their pastoral wisdom. I've noticed this. Except one time, uh, four years ago when our... Uh, our Katya, who's 11 today, 7 then, uh, had spine surgery. We talked a lot about her medical condition. And then one of the surgeons said, oh, and by the way, she's going to be fine in terms of her emotions. 
All she wants to know is that you are with her. That's the only thing she needs to know. And you know what? He was right. Uh, I was with you when you went under the gas. Uh, You know, your mommy and I were with you when you woke up and wiggled your toes. And today, Katya, we've talked, we talked a lot about this. She has a very positive impression as she looks back on the memories of that time. And, you know, she has a more than average interest in how the human body works. And she's compassionate because of what she's been through. Who knows what God is going to do with you because of that experience. But we had to all go through that together, didn't we? He's with us. We're in relationship with with him. That's what we need to know. We can put all of this together with one idea. here's Here's the main idea. We can take risks for the cause of Christ because God in Christ loves us. You know, you might be here today and you really are blown back by this. I I don't blame you. I mean, this is huge stuff we're talking about. You're like, why would I take risks? I don't get it. This is, wow, this is so huge. Um, You know, everything we've talked about here assumes that we're in Christ. In other words, that we've trusted in Christ by faith. That we, we really believe that Jesus came from God because we're sinners, we're separated from God. Jesus took our sins on himself. He died. He was buried, just like in verse 34. He was raised. He ascended to the Father. And right now, today, even in this moment, he's at the Father's side and he's interceding for us. If you've not come to the place in your life where you know that or believe that, maybe you haven't cared about that before then everything we've talked about here can begin to make sense to you when you've trusted in Christ. Believe him by faith, and Jesus himself would invite you to come to him in faith. And then we start moving out, as God helps us, we start moving out by taking risks. Now, nobody wants you to give away all your stuff and walk around barefoot. That's not what this is about. Okay, please don't do that, because then the rest of us have to take care of you. Okay, uh, it's, this is not this is not like that. All right, start small with ordinary things. All right, May, maybe you start by serving where there's a need, uh, even though you'll be outside of your perceived gifting. Right, maybe you've taken one of those gift inventories and the thing basically said, "Don't do that." All right, but there's a need. All right, you. You'll be risking your comfort if you do this, but you'll be trusting God to make up what you lack. And that's the real idea of spiritual gifting anyway. Or or maybe consider taking a break from technology to relate face-to-face with somebody. You're going to risk getting behind with your virtual relationships. People are going to be, where have you been the last 30 minutes? You know, where'd you go? But you're going to be remembering how to love people by listening to them face to face. Or maybe risk bringing somebody else on your family vacation. That's a good one. You're going to risk your own perceived personal time, but you're going to remember that your time is really not your own to give or to keep. And it's given to you by God. Or here's a good one. Uh, Join a small group or class here at Faith. 
You're going to take the risk to know people and be known by them, even though it's scary. But you're going to learn to be confident that just as Jesus finished the work of salvation on the cross, he loves you and he will be with you even while you expose yourself or make, make yourself vulnerable to other people. We can take risks for the cause of Christ because God in Christ loves us. That's an idea that we can travel with in the Christian life. Father, we thank you for Jesus and the the, the rock-bottom reality in our lives is that the work of salvation is accomplished in Jesus and we trust in him. And then all of the things that we've talked about become real and actual in our lives as they're applied to our lives. Risk is hard for us, Lord. We, uh, while we love to be comfortable, we like to be secure. It's everything, everything in us wants to do this. And, uh, and yet by your spirit, you lead us to magnify your glory in the hearts and minds of people and This often, if not always, requires risk. Uh, We've read a great passage today, Lord. Would you help us to take it down deep in our lives, to think about it, to memorize it, to speak about it with each other, and then as your spirit leads, to step out by faith in risk in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.